Thou alone shall be my glory, nothing in the world I see. Thou hast cleansed and sanctified me, thou thyself hast set me free. Friends, those are the, song, the, the lyrics of the song we just sang. I hope, you, I hope you're encouraged to meditate on that throughout the week. It's a wonderful song of great truth that uh, we are encouraged to reflect upon and think about as we engage in our weekly activities. Well, this morning, I encourage you to open Scripture to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. We'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 6. If you are new to our congregation this morning, we are about to finish the book of Ecclesiastes. We have been in it for the past two months, a little over two months, and we are working our way through it verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. This morning, we reach the part where we are beginning our ending of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you that your truth is life for us. And we ask at these moments that you would let these words, these verses, communicate your, your life to our own hearts and souls. Father, we pray for our hearts to be opened. We pray for our understandings to be clear so that your revelation to us may not be stifled by our own sinfulness, by our own lack of understanding. Father, we depend on you. Speak to us, we pray. In the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And these uh, verses from, from Ecclesiastes 11 are often considered by people as uh, a random collection of proverbs, of sayings that are simply there for us to to pick out, take them out of context, and use them as we find them fit. Some people use some of these pro uh, proverbs in various areas of life, things like how to engage in work or how to engage in business, how to do investments. But if we look carefully at what is happening in the book of Ecclesiastes, what has transpired up until now, and what's happening from this point forward, we realize that much more is going on in these verses than the mere practical advices on specific aspects of life. And throughout this book, we've seen the contrast of two ways of looking at this life, at this life on earth. We can look at it by simply 
seeing what can be experienced under the sun, what can be seen under the sun, and limit our view of life to that under-the-sun framework. That is one way of looking at life. The other way of looking at life is to realize that there is a God who orchestrates all things and to whom we must give an account and who is over the sun. The former is a perspective of the humanist, the secularist, the materialist. He only believes what he can touch. The latter perspective is the, the perspective of him who looks at life, realizing that God, the God who is invisible, the God whom we cannot touch or see, not yet at least, is over all things. And he desires his creation to look up to him and to live in a way that pleases him. And the only way we can do that is if we live with awe of him. And the only way we rebellious people like us can live in awe of the one against whom we have rebelled, <laughs> the only way for that change to happen in our own hearts is if we come back to him, return to him, Live life according to His ways, according to His revelation of Himself for us. Now, when, the, when Ecclesiastes was written, the revelation of God was not completed. After the, the book of Ecclesiastes was written, God revealed to us the ways in which rebellious sinners like us can return to Him. People who have an inborn inclination to disobey God, to walk away from Him? How can people like that, with an inborn inclination in that direction, actually turn back to God and stand in awe of Him and fear Him? Well, the rest of the Bible reveals to us that the only way we can experience that change of heart, that change of attitude, is if we actually understand the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, before we even get into, into chapter 11, I want to make sure we understand the framework of faith, the framework of, of this change that can, that can happen to us. And that framework is only through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we don't understand that framework, these verses may sound like really good advice for business people for how to live life even apart from faith in God. But these verses were not meant to be understood apart from that faith. As a matter of fact, if we realize what's going on after this passage, the preacher of Ecclesiastes is going to make a strong plea that we should actually put our faith in this God, that we should pursue this God. This, this these verses, the six verses that we started reading, are part of the last section of the book of Ecclesiastes. If, uh, if I could help you understand this through giving you an, a picture of a flying. You, whenever you fly, the plane takes off, it cruises, and at some point you hear the, the pilot giving an announcement. Friends, we are starting our descent. It means we're, we're starting to take action to, 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 to go down, to start landing this plane and get out to our destination. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, 
is like the announcement of the pilot who's saying, we're starting our descent. Throughout this book, the preacher has given us and has taken, on, taken us on a tour of what all these perspectives of life look like. If you took the tour of the secularist, the materialist, the one who loves money, the one who loves pleasure, the one who loves human knowledge, he took us to see what that path looks like with its highs and its lows. Then he took us to see the path of pursuing God, what that looks like. He, he has given us a tour, but now he's saying the tour is coming to an end. We're starting our descent. And the descent for the preacher of Ecclesiastes is in verses, in chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. In, verse, in chapter 11, verse 9, the preacher will say, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. In light of this overall aim that he wants to bring us to, to be ready to meet our God, in light of this overall aim, how does our text prepare us to meet this God? There are, there are things we must believe about God, but realize that the, the kind of things that we are asked to believe about God should lead us to action. True faith, if genuine, leads us to live in a certain way, and true faith leads us to action. What we'll see here in this passage is some actions that characterize the people of faith, some actions that characterize the people who are on this path, saying, we are serious about pursuing this God. Friend, I want to make sure you understand, pursuing this God, responding to Him, is not something that we pay up to God. When we pursue this God, we pursue Him because of what He has done for us already. I want to make sure you understand the gospel before we even get into these actions of faith. We're not saved by doing things for God. We're not saved by acting up, behaving in a certain way. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the news of God's salvation is that God created us. He created us perfect in His sight. And yet mankind rebelled against our Creator. And even though, because, even though God is perfect and He owns us, and because of that, he could, he could deliver us to His eternal wrath because of our rebellion against Him. Yet God in His mercies and grace found a way for rebellious people like us to be restored back to the Creator. And that way is to Jesus Christ. God sent His only Son to live the life we could never live, to obey perfectly all of God's commands, and yet He died on a cross in our place, so that through His death and through His resurrection, people who repent of their sin and trust in Christ could be restored back to God. Friend, this gospel of salvation calls us to, to, to respond to God in faith. This faith in God, this faith in trusting Christ leads us to action. It is not the action that grants us God's favor. It is the faith that we we put in Christ, and because of that faith, we're now freed and enabled to live differently, to live a new life, 
to act in a different way. The rest of this passage will give us some examples of what the life of faith looks like. But friends, if you have not understood the gospel and responded to it through faith and repentance, turning away from your sin and turning to Christ, the first thing you can do, the most important thing you can do, is actually respond to this gospel. Repent of your sin. Turn away from it. And put your trust in Christ. If you'd like to know more about what that means, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Or just talk to another person who's already a believer. Ask them to tell you more about it. And they will tell you more. Friends, having that base established, what does the life that pursues God, what does that look like? What does this faith look like? Here's four things that we can see about the faith um, that we see described here in chapter 11 as the preacher of Ecclesiastes brings us down to understand the life that pleases God. Four things about faith. First one, faith calls us to act in trust. Faith calls us to act in trust. Look at verse 1. It's a proverb. It's an image that's fairly well known. You may have heard it in many contexts. It says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Now, clearly, this is an image. This is a proverb. Um, if you throw wa- I mean, bread on water, you will not get it back. It will quickly soak and drown. You won't get it back. And whatever you get back, it'll be very soggy. You won't be able to eat it. So what is this verse saying? Cast your bread on water, and after many days you will get it. There are a number of ways to understand this picture. Um, The imagery comes from the life of commerce and business in ancient times when ancient traders would load up their produce on ships and would not get their profits until much later. For instance, in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22, we read that Solomon's ships would go out and bring resources every three years. Meaning that in some of these situations, it would take up to three years to do it. In a similar way, casting your bread upon waters has this notion of sending off your stuff and you will get it back after many days. This imagery has been understood and applied in many ways. Some have understood this imagery as an urge and a challenge to be generous. Give what you have. Give it away. And after many days, you'll get it back. An exhortation to take what is yours. Don't hang on to it. Give it away. Bless others. Bless others who can't return back to you. The same thing. And the Lord will, will reward you for it. One way to understand this imagery is as, an, as an, an urge, as a calling for generosity. Others understand this imagery as uh, speaking to people who are uh, doing life and living life and, and doing business. Encouraging people to invest. Encouraging people to take risks in life. Uh, we would have something similar in our day today. When people say, you have, to get, you have to use money to get money. It's a common proverb. So some people think of this imagery as, as uh, an encouragement to invest and to risk in life. Others think this imagery is used 
to urge us to do something senseless, something that doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. Why would you, why would you throw your, your bread on the water and think that you're going to get it back? It doesn't make sense. Humanly speaking, it makes no sense. You will not get it back. It's gone. And yet, nevertheless, do it, for God will reward you for it. So a third way to understand this imagery is that, the, that through it, God is encouraging us to, to do something that doesn't make sense humanly speaking. But friends, while all these interpretations might be valid, there's no way to know exactly which, what exactly is, is the actual application of this imagery. There's something else going on in the book of Ecclesiastes that I think we might help us to understand. There's more than just charity, risky investments, or senseless service. There's something more behind, uh, beyond this imagery if we realize that the book of Ecclesiastes is now starting the descent, taking us down, the tour is about to end, if we understand what he's going to say in the next verses that we're going to go through next week, we might understand that the preach of Ecclesiastes is drawing us in to make a decision to respond to God, to live this life under the sun knowing that we will be judged and will give an account to him. And in light of that overall calling, this imagery serves a very specific purpose. It serves to call us to live with trust. To respond to God in trust. The one towards whom we're supposed to act in this cast your way upon the waters is towards God. If we're going to respond to this God... This life of faith is first and foremost an act of trust. Just as in the ancient business trades, the business owners had to risk and trust that their investments will bring them greater profits later, a similar element of trust characterizes a life of faith. Such trust may feel risky. Such trust may feel radical or senseless, humanly speaking. But nevertheless, a life of faith includes this basic action of trusting. So, cast your bread upon the waters is a call to act in trust. You're called to cast off that which you have, which is yours, that which you are inclined to hold on to. Friends, this is a picture of the gospel itself, the picture of repentance of the picture of realizing that what we have, God calls us to give it. To give it to Him. Don't hold on to it. Don't be afraid of letting it go. Realizing that in this very act of, of casting your bread upon the waters is actually a, a picture, an imagery of what the gospel itself calls every one of us to do. Belief in God, true faith in God, enables us to act in this trustful way. Think of Abraham in the Old Testament. God calls him to leave his family, his father's house, his, his land, to go to a place that God will give him. And Abraham literally had to, had to leave, had to leave everything behind. He got his belongings, his family, his wife, and his, his nephew, 
and he left. When God calls Abraham to bring his son as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, Abraham had to let go of that which he thought belongs to him, which was his. It was a child of promise. God gave it to him miraculously. God gave Isaac to him miraculously. And God called Abraham to bring it back, to give it back to God. It's as if those images in the life, as if those experiences in the life of Abraham would be this very act of Abraham, cast your bread upon the waters. Belief in God calls us to trust, to act in trust. Living life with God in the picture has this trust in view, trusting that what God says is true. Friends, do you realize that faith is more than simply believing? Do you realize that faith is more than simply believing? It means trusting that is so and acting upon it in obedience to God. To obey God freely requires our act of trusting. When we obey Him, we trust that He knows better, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't understand fully what He's about to do. Cast your bread upon the waters, for it will, you will find it after many days. Verse 2, the image of, ancient business, of the ancient businessman continues. Look at verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Having urged us to, to pursue a life of trust, the point of verse 2 is to challenge us to invest fully our lives in the life of faith. Continuing the imagery of commerce, on first appearance, the verse in, in, uh, encourages us to spread out our investments into many baskets. Uh, a, a common phrase today would be divide your eggs in many baskets. But here, the, the reason what we have here is in verse 2, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Given the unpredictabilities of life on earth, don't keep your assets in one place. Spread them out. That would be the sort of the, the basic idea of this verse if all it meant and all it referred to was the life of business. But since this picture of commerce is not simply good advice for business people, since this picture is actually an illustration for the life of faith, the point of this verse is to say to us, don't hold on to your life. Don't keep it to yourself. Spread it all out. Spread it all of it. As one commentator said, this verse calls us to invest everything in the life of faith. The call to invest our lives is made with urgency in verse 2 because of the unpredictableness of, of life. Just as a trader would be zealous in spreading out his investments, knowing that they're not safe in one place, so the life of faith should be lived with this zeal, with this enthusiasm to use it all for that which does not perish. Don't try to keep it all for yourself. Don't hoard it in. It will not be good for you. It is not safe for you. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Friends, 
If faith doesn't lead you to act in such a trustful way, it's not true faith. If faith is not leading you to act in such a trustful way, it's not true faith. So let me ask you, is your life characterized by this attitude of being willing to cast your bread upon the waters, being willing to spread out your life onto others, or are you holding it on to yourself, being scared that you will never see it again if you give it away? Is your life guided more by the fear of losing, or is it characterized by this basic trust that whatever God calls you to do, it is worth doing it, even though it might seem senseless or radical? Ask yourself, are you opening your life to serve God by being involved in the lives of others? Are you so focused on yourself that you have nothing left to share with others, neither time nor resources nor faith? Faith causes us to act in trust, and such trusting actions may appear risky at first, but do it. Cast your bread upon the waters. You will find it after many days. It takes patience. You will not get the results right away, but do it. It's worth it. Second point that we see in this action, this, this, the way faith acts, is that faith acts even under pressure. Look at verses 3 and 4. In verses 3 and 4, the imagery changes from uh, businessmen to farmers. The reference to wind and rain tie these verses together. Look at verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. If a tree falls to the south or to the north in a place where it falls, there it will lie. What's the point of verse 3? We cannot change the laws of nature. If the clouds are ready to pour it out, they will do it. If the tree falls down, it will, and you can't change it. Realize we're limited to the laws of nature. And those laws of nature, someone else has established. And it's not us. God did not consult us, consult us about how to create this world. He put us on it once he created everything. But in light of that, look at what verse 4. On the backdrop of these limitations, the next verse gives us a great challenge. And this is the point of verses 3 and 4. It's really verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. When clouds appear on the horizon, the farmer might be tempted to postpone his sowing until a, mo a more appropriate time. He may be tempted to wait for better circumstances, but if he does that all the time, he'll never get to do anything. The preacher is well aware that our human inclination is to hit the pause button on our responsibilities whenever we see clouds or windy, inappropriate circumstances around us, difficult challenges. People may avoid carrying out their responsibilities just because they see potential problems. The preacher says, such thinking will not get you anywhere. Reality is that we live in a world where winds and, and clouds are all around us, not just physically, but symbolically. We wait for the perfect time, for the perfect circumstances. If that's our attitude, we will never get anything done in this life. 
Well, friends, how often the children of God excuse themselves from carrying out God's works because they think, ah, oh, this is not a good time to do it. It's too cloudy. It's too rainy. It's too windy. Now, the more, more real ways those excuses look like is something like this. Um, I got too much going on right now. Um, I don't think I can do that. I, I'm just not, I'm not ready for it. Or I, uh, let's say something like, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not in the mood for it. Or I just got a headache. Or blank. I wonder what are your clouds and winds? What are the things that you know you should be doing? You get out to do it. You get ready to start working on it. But you get out and you see the clouds. Oh, this is not a good time. You know what? I better leave it for tomorrow. Do you think that way? And if so, what does that look like for you? I, uh, a few, we- few weeks ago, I met with a number of pastors uh, along with Pastor Juan Sanchez at High Point and speaking to several pastors in the Austin area. He uh, spoke about the challenges they have in planting a new church plant. If most of you don't know, or if some of you already know, uh, High Point is planting a new church in Cedar Park. This is their second church plant. We've been helping it, them in this process as well. Uh, but Pastor Sanchez shared how the core group will leave the church uh, with an expected deficit of giving in the next year with about $104,000. And by the third quarter of last year, they were already in the negative by $100,000. And he said to us, we still felt God calling us to act in faith and do this work of planting the church even though financially it makes little sense at this point. And he said something to us that just stuck with me. He said, it's never the perfect time to plant the church. It's never the perfect time to plant the church. But so often the things that God calls us to do will have clouds on the horizon. There will be reasons we will find that we can use as excuses for us not to act. There were fears that will intimidate us. Think of the Old Testament people of God. In God promised them while they were in Egypt that will, He will take them out of Egypt. So He did in a miraculous way. And He brings them through the desert to the borders of Canaan, the promised land. And Moses sends 12 spies to, to spy out the land, to see what's ahead of them, to see how good it is. And the spies come back, and they indeed bring a report that the, the, the land is amazing filled with milk and honey, with fruits that are huge. Definitely worth going for it, except that they're giants and they're fortified cities. Have they forgotten what they got out of? Egypt, through a Red Sea. And now they're afraid to go through. Winds. Winds. 
clouds. For the sake of them, we often put off acting in faith and doing what God calls us to do. For the people of Israel, that was a great tragedy. Forty years in the desert. And that generation was not allowed to enter the promised land. Friends, do you realize that God wants us to act in faith? I wonder, what are the clouds, what are the rains, what are the winds that keep you away from acting in faith? Just as a farmer should not stay inactive just because the wind is blowing or just because a sea that he sees the clouds, so also the life of faith should not stay inactive just because it's not the ideal time. Faith, quite the opposite. The life of faith acts even when it's not the favorable time. The life of faith is an active life even when there's clouds and winds on the horizon. Oh, friend, you realize that our own hearts are, are filled with an inclination, with this sluggishness. We easily become intimidated and fearful, especially when we have something to do for God, especially when God calls us to act in faith. We imagine the worst scenarios, even though none might happen. We call these realistic cautions, when in reality they could be sinful fears, faithless fears. God is allowing these winds and these clouds to hover over the path of our faith to test our obedience. Is our faith genuine to produce obedience even while we might be inclined to find excuses? Faith acts even under pressure. Number three, faith relies on God's providence. Look at verses 5 and 6. Faith relies on God's providence. The third illustration we get uh, is, in, is about the human body. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. How can we, how can we act by faith when it doesn't make sense, humanly speaking? How can we act by faith when, when, when we're under pressure, when the storms seem to come on the horizon? How can we act that which seems radical and senseless to human experience, and yet it's an act of faith? How can we do that? Because faith relies on God's providence. We may not know how the human body begins to form in the, in the, in the womb of a, human, uh, in a, in, of a woman, how the spirit comes to the bones, how the human soul is formed, it is beyond the skill of, of parents or scientists. The point of the illustration is, just as we don't know all the details even about the beginning of life, we do not know all the details about all of life, especially about the things that God calls us to act in faith. I love how Michael Eaton says about this verse, the life of faith does not remove the problem of our ignorance. Rather, it enables us to live with it. Faith flourishes in the mystery of providence. It does not abolish it. When we don't know all the details of what God is up to, yet God calls us to act by faith, be sure of this. The God whom we worship is a God who makes everything. That we do know. Even if we don't know how God acts, the one thing we do know is that God, the God we worship, is a God who works everything. Sometimes people find it hard to believe in God when they go through trials and difficulties. 
They wonder, where is God? That's a wrong question. I love how Spurgeon described God's work in our trials. He said, so far as personal sorrows are concerned, it would be a very sharp and trying experience for me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by His hand, that my briars were never measured out by Him, nor sent to me by His arrangement of their weight and quality. Oh, that were bitterness indeed. We don't understand how God works, especially in difficult times, especially in times when we are called to act in faith, and that act seems senseless, humanly speaking. And nevertheless, believing that everything is measured by God, in everything God works, even in those moments of difficulty and sorrow. We don't need to know all the details of how God works. It's enough to know that God makes everything. He works in everything. Oh, friends, that fact that God works everything gives us patience and perseverance when heavy storms hit. That fact that God works everything gives us strength to carry out our roles with boldness. The fact that God works everything gives us courage to live by faith, to act in ways that seem risky to the human eyes, to act in ways that seem senseless, to take a risk, but it's a risk in confidence in the confidence of the providence of God who works everything. There's a fourth thing about this faith, the actions of faith. Faith acts all the time. Look at verse 6. In the morning you sow your seed, and in the, at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, whether both alike will be good. We return now to the imagery of the farmer. The farmer doesn't know with certainty which parts of his work will actually bring greater return. If he knew what brings greater return, he would only focus on those things. But he doesn't. So he has to do it all. Friends, the lack of knowing the results encourages a farmer to work all day long, from morning to evening. The lack of knowing is actually a good thing for him. The lack of knowing gets him to work all day and not give in to laziness, sluggishness. Friends, we live in a culture that loves to know what is worth doing, what will bring the best results. In our culture, living with not knowing is a very, very difficult thing. If we knew how things would turn out, we would feel safer, we would feel better of our time, of our resources, of our decisions. But that's exactly the point. God works in mysterious ways. He doesn't let us know how He works. We don't know which actions He will make fruitful. Therefore, make the use of every opportunity that He gives you. Rather than trying to guess what specific works God will prosper and focus only on those, follow the command in verse, 16, uh, verse 6. Let our lack of knowledge of results encourage us to do whatever the Lord puts before us and do it well and do it with zeal. Be active for the Lord from morning to evening. Be ready to give on God, be on God's mission, not only when you are in church, 
but in your home, in the classroom, in your workplace, in your dorm, with your neighbors. Be ready to help others and to encourage others to speak the Word of God to others. Do it in season and out of season. Friend, what would, be, what would it look like for you to be engaged in living out this faith, in acting upon your faith from early morning to late at night? Our faith produces actions in us all day long. We don't know which of these actions God will bless, so do them all. Do them with diligence. Four things about the actions of faith we have seen this morning. Faith calls us to act in trust. Faith acts even under pressure. Faith relies upon God's providence, and faith acts all the time. Friends, is this the faith you have? Is this the faith that acts in your way, in your life in this way? The faith in, the God, in Christ, the faith in God, the faith that has given us a new life, leads us to act in a trustworthy way.